Live from London, this is the Saturday Lunch with Joseph Hammond. Good afternoon, my name is Joe Hammond. I'm a primary school music and computing specialist and early years. Um, and today I wanted to talk a little bit about um, common phrases that we say to particularly to younger children and how we should change them. Live from London, this is the Saturday Lunch with Joseph Hammond on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, the time is just gone past one o'clock. It is the 27th of August. And um, yeah, I haven't done a show for a few weeks, just various things uh, getting in the way. But um, I wanted to talk today about some things that I've noticed and things that I take care not to do myself, but also things that perhaps lots of people might not be aware of when uh, talking to your children, um, whether that be as a parent or as a teacher, that can actually have, well, they have good intentions, but they need to be reframed because of the the way in which they are being said and the level of understanding of that particular person might not be at the point where they can fully grasp the meaning of what you're saying or no um, unwritten rules. I mean, me as a um, autistic person, um, that's a big struggle for me a lot of the time. Um, you know, I need things to be clear. I need specifics. And a lot of children need this as well. And uh, so there are some general phrases that I've read about and that I've heard being said where if you just slightly reframe it, it makes as uh, it makes a subtle difference at the time but it te it teaches the child more in the long run and it shows them ways to be that are you know that are conducive to having their needs met them the child being able to be a part of a community and have positive relationships with peers and with adults. Um, so I wanted to talk a bit about some of those today. And the one I want to start with is quite a simple phrase, but it's used so much that it's ingrained into our, into our collective conscience. It's just something that we naturally do. And that phrase is be careful. OK, anything, anything that involves any slight bit of risk. Oh, be careful. 
you see you see them riding their bike oh be careful you see them climbing a tree oh be careful what does that actually mean so if you i i, I deliberately left a pause there what does be careful actually mean though if you've got some context to it then maybe it might mean something but just the phrase be careful on its own doesn't actually mean very much if you're older and you've got experience then sure the phrase be careful might mean something but to a child who might be experiencing something for the first time be careful on its own doesn't actually mean very much at all so what you have to replace it with is specifics instead so let's take a few examples a child's riding a bike okay um let's say they've just take their training wheels have come off for the first time and they're riding their bike independently well instead of saying be careful you could say things like okay stay on the road uh, sorry not stay on the road that's the worst thing you can do stay on stay on the path um notice notice the branches above you notice the people in front of you so they look for specific things and that gives them better hazard perception which is you know something that we all do when we learn to drive hazard perception is one of the theory tests parts of the theory test um and it's it's similar it's similar with riding a bike you know making the children for uh, making children and uh, students familiar with the potential hazards and how to avoid them happening um allowing them to take risks and engage in risky play without it being you know too risky and so let uh, so I, I i used riding a bike as an example let's take another phrase where you might naturally say be careful and climbing trees now that's less <laughs> a lot less common than it used to be but as someone who works a lot in forest schools um i see tree climbing all the time and we have our own set of rules and risk assessments and um things that we say to the children we never just say be careful so for example let's say a child steps on a branch that branch is very thin and it's wobbling i might say to that child um notice okay have a look at that branch do you think that's going to support your weight do you think that's thick enough and they might have a think about it and you know i'm not saying that this will uh this will always work 100% of the time or you'll get instant results but it's teaching that child to be aware of themselves aware of their surroundings so um 
no have a look have a look at this branch you know in um where i work we have a rule where if it's if the branch is thinner than their arms or their legs then it's not good enough to support their weight if a branch is thicker than their arms and their legs then it is good enough to support their weight <laughs> great maths talk joe and thought for the kids yeah yes well um it is yeah i suppose i suppose it is maths in a way yeah without <laughs> there you go leanne you just pointed something out to me without me even realizing it but i suppose it does link to it um but yeah so we don't just say be careful because on its own that does not mean anything early years for one year and now i see maths everywhere yeah i suppose um <laughs> i i i get I, I suppose i can see that um yeah if you taking any opportunity to use um to include maths with toys and in our case with loose parts in in the forest um but so yeah, I've used riding a bike, climbing a tree. Those are those are two examples, and it can be even something that's far more simple. So, let's say you're out at the beach. Let's or let's say you're dipping your feet in a pond or a lake, and sharp stones can sometimes be a hazard. So, instead of telling your child be careful you want to be very specific so tell them okay there might be sharp stones so see if you can spot any sharp stones can you spot any no okay so it's safe to put your feet down that's um that's gonna be they're gonna know exactly what that means even at a very young age even at you know, three and four years old, they're going to know what that means. You know, you shouldn't, one of the things that often younger children do get underestimated. There are some cases where they might get overestimated, but other cases where they might be underestimated. Um, and their ability to perceive risk is often underestimated. Um, they obviously need guidance and obviously every individual is different but often their ability to perceive risk is underestimated um an example of where a lot of children might be overestimated in my opinion from what i can see online safety but that's a topic for another time um so that is my opinion on the phrase be careful and a lot of the things that i'm saying today will um will relate to having a growth mindset um now the growth mindset um isn't actually as simple as lots of people think and the the person and the people who wrote the guidebook and the sort of manual on growth mindset and uh, sort of coins the term, they 
actually get quite annoyed with people for simplifying it too much just because um you know you can you can say oh i'm building up resilience oh that's growth mindset but it isn't as simple as that but you can always incorporate even if you don't understand it 100 percent, and you can always incorporate certain things which will not to not to include growth mindset you're not ticking a box but to allow the child to grow as a person that is the um that is the goal here so the next phrase that i want to talk about now the whole be careful thing is one that i read about sharing is my next one and this is something that i've noticed a lot especially recently so with younger children i'm talking early years here um and actually in some older children you might use different language but the similar principle applies a younger child might want a toy that an another child has okay now it's quite although they might get frustrated to the point where they would snatch it's not what I, that's not what i'm talking about here that's similar issue but also slightly different i'm talking about this kind of situation i'm going to give an example okay so a child is building something with duplo now another child comes and child two needs a green block there aren't any green blocks left because child one is using all the green blocks. So child two asks child one, can I have a green block, please? And child one says, no, I need them for my garden that I'm building, or I need them for my spaceship that I'm building. Okay. Child two gets frustrated. Child two goes to an adult and says, excuse me, child one isn't sharing. But they don't actually mean that. They just mean, I want a green block and I'm going to, uh, and by using sharing as an excuse, I'm going to try and get that green block for myself. You see? there's a difference okay now with personal possessions you know one of a parent's biggest mistake that they might they might make is forcing a child to share their toys or their possessions and children need to have a sense of ownership of certain things certain items maybe certain um they they need to have some sense of ownership if they don't have a sense of ownership of anything then that can cause anxiety but in schools it's kind of you know obviously the 
toys if you're in an early years setting or whatever items you know in our case you know it can happen over sticks sometimes where a child might want a stick that another child has it sounds very simple but it it can happen or a particular leaf or a particular acorn it does happen um and when a child says um to the teacher this child isn't sharing they don't actually mean you know i want to i want to share it they just want it for themselves but they know that when they say sharing it can often come to them as an excuse or a reason to try and get something for themselves and so when i hear that I never force that child, uh, in the child one, child two example, I never force child one to share, like I'm using a Duplo example, I never force a child, child number one, to share a green brick with child two. I say to child two, okay, so I know there's no green bricks right now. Could you find something else? And when child one is done, finished with green bricks, then maybe you can have one. Child two might get a bit frustrated, sure, but you're not creating anxiety in child one who has a sense of ownership of something that they might be very deeply focused in. And that is a valuable learning opportunity. Now, there's there's different ways of doing the uh, of doing things, obviously, and so there, there's no perfect solution. Sometimes a solution might create different issues, but in this case, it's just something that I've noticed a lot very recently that. You know, children will say sharing is caring to their peers, or they might say, oh, this child isn't sharing to a teacher, but they don't actually mean sharing. They mean they want complete ownership of that particular item at the time. So there's got to be a better way of... of, of, of teaching the concept of you know not being uh, of not being selfish so that and, and keeping hoarding things or keeping things to themselves so that it's not a there, there's there's so it's not misunderstood and then used to mean something that it actually doesn't mean i hope that made sense to people who are listening um so instead of you know telling a child whether it be at home or at school you have to share that actually causes anxiety and um in official growth mindset media what it says is what you are telling the child when you force them to share is that your needs do not matter and that somebody else's needs matter more. 
So if there's one particular big item that lots of people want, taking turns is a good way of doing things. So when we build makeshift swings, for example, um, in um, in our in our forest school, um, we can we we often build makeshift swings. We hang them on tree branches out of ropes and tires and planks and things. Um, it's great fun. Actually, a lot more fun than standard swings you get at the park, which um, just go back and forth because there's more of an element of unpredictability about a natural, uh, a, a you know, a self-made swing rather than using chains and metal and keeping it straight all the time. It can veer off all sorts of places and is more fun. But anyway, I digress. So obviously then you can't, it wouldn't be fair if one child sort of had loads of time all the time. If there's lots of people waiting to have a turn, then they do have to take turns and children do understand that. So, um, well, visual so uh, with a lot of our children we would use you know visual to show them okay this person has this much time and then it's the next person's go um so you know if i okay you've and, and i'd give them i wouldn't suddenly stop and say okay now your turn's finished you'd give them a forewarning beforehand um okay you've got one minute left child one and then it's child two's turn of course, if there's no one else waiting, then they can stay on it for as long as they want until maybe someone else wants to go. But yeah, we need. I think we really need to change the language around sharing because children do need a sense of ownership of something that they possess or something that they are doing. And if they are deeply engaged in that thing, then they need to have a sense of ownership of it and that they can engage with it without um without having to without having to you know be suddenly interrupted okay um i will be right back there's a, a doorbell just go with me a moment hello that will be my new guitar strings um so um yesterday for the first time ever my guitar strings broke mid-lesson one of my guitar strings snapped mid-lesson first time that has ever happened to me it's really really annoying but you know it happened okay i will be right back All right, apologies for that. So yeah, um, that just happened. Um, so yeah, yesterday I was I was mid song and my one of my guitar strings snapped and it was yeah <laughs> a little bit annoying because I couldn't play the guitar for the rest of the day until my new strings arrived, which they have now. That's just good. So yeah. Um, anyway, where was I? So that's my opinion on sharing. Now, um. I 
the next one I want to address is something that you might, well, a teacher might say, how was your holiday? Or a parent might say, how was school today? But actually, I wanted to reframe that slightly into something different. And that is um, more specifics. So again, lots of these are very specifics um, because, you know, you don't want to put pressure on, it, it can feel like a very pressured thing for a child to sort of describe their entire school day. And I know a lot of parents will be anxious about how their child is getting on in school. Uh, a lot of teachers might, you know, sort of um, want to get to know their children a bit better. Um, but in building up in building up relationships, if you're perhaps a bit um, less direct about it, then there's different um, there's different things that you can say. So for a, a, a nice simple example, what was the best part of your day? Okay, so but rather than saying best each day, you can change it up. What was the toughest, most challenging part of the day? What was the most boring part of the day? What was the uh, most surprising part of the day? What was the funniest part of your day? So that's, um, you know, instead of just getting them to just think about specifics of what happened in um in a in a in a six to eight hour day that's quite overwhelming and a lot happened they won't remember it all so if you ask specifics what what was for lunch today what um what did you um how was what what did you play in um in you know orchestra practice today um or did you sing in choir today how, how did um what was what was the best play in the football game you had um all all of these things you're being more specific than just generalizing and thinking about oh so i'm just going to ask a very general question about school full stop and that's it that's my engagement that is that's more powerful and it gets them thinking much more than just sort of generally you know oh did you have a good day yeah yeah and that's and that's i know because i i know because i used to do that uh, I, I i still might um so right if you want to properly engage and as teachers we might say you know oh did you have a good holiday well some children might naturally want to tell you about what they did and their friends and things but also some might not so you might be better off asking specific things you know so um 
what was what was the best part of your trip what was the um what was the um most challenging part of um your summer camp um or you know your orchestra practice or whatever it is if you're if you're being more specific you're showing that child that you you are aware of more aware of who they are and what they do and that way also you can be obviously with being sensitive to these questions you can then be more likely to build a relationship with important for with you know particularly important children that might be having you know that that you might have safeguarding concerns about or you know you you're looking out for them and just general questions they might not want to engage with but specifics you know they might learn to trust you a bit better and then if they do have something going on then they might be able to disclose it to you so it actually really helps with the safeguarding aspect too um which is you know obviously one of the biggest things with schools if any school gets their safeguarding wrong nothing else matters you you're screwed it's over um so yeah so i'm going to um I'm going to play the adverts now um, and we'll have a word from our sponsors. And then I've got three more things that I'd like to talk about in this topic of common phrases, things we say to children, things we say or to children or do with to, to or with children that I think need to change or be reframed. And so, yeah, we'll be right back. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Okay, so... I've talked a bit about the phrase, be careful. I've talked about sharing and I've talked about how was school today and how I think those phrases need to be changed. The next one I want to talk about is rather than something we say, something we naturally do, and that's punishment. Now, I am categorically against punishing children okay it's something that well i i say categorically against i am you know i am generally against try you know it, it, a natural response that's been passed down over generations is trying to 
punish your behavior out of a child. But actually, if it's done wrong and it's done in anger and it's done to get back at that child, which often can be a case, all that does is just build resentment and it makes the uh makes the child think rather than you know um okay these are the the this is what my actions have done oh they'll think okay how can i do this without getting caught next time it's so that needs to be completely reframed um and you see the words punishment mean it actually means um to you know induce something that somebody doesn't like to in in response to something they've done to you that you don't like and it creates a vicious cycle um because you but because yeah as i said um they if they don't understand why this is happening to them or what the consequences of their actions are, then you're not actually teaching them anything. And discipline and dis discipline should be to teach that child, you know, saying you know, a common a common phrase when it comes to punishing is all oh, that this'll teach you a lesson. What's the lesson? If you're if you're enacting a punishment out of anger, then the lesson is simply, you know, this is how this adult becomes angry. This is how, um, you know, this this is how this adult sees me or treats me with disrespect, because they're they're going to feel very disrespected if it's just a punishment. Now, I'm not saying that I'm an expert in I, I'm a you know bona fide expert in behavior management um because I'm not but I've been in many progressive environments recently that I guess I'm much more used to thinking about things far differently than you know just punishing somebody um and you know, I I know though from working in inner city London schools that there are students out there that it's very hard um, not to see them as just being outright disrespectful, um, and that can be extremely hard to deal with. Um, but it is so; it, it does exist. However. Um, and this is why working in tougher schools, it's very much, it's very hard because you want to try and build a positive relationship with that person, but that can be very tough. And what I guess a couple of my proudest moments are when, you know, I've gotten off to a rough start with a child because they've tried to be disrespectful in my lessons, but then they've seen some of the good stuff that I can do in my lessons, which they've really engaged with. And that has happened. Um, 
I have sadly had a couple of students who no matter what I did, no matter what I tried, I just couldn't get through to them. They did not want to engage with me at all and basically hated me. I have had a couple of students like that, which, you know, is very sad. Um, but as also, I guess, natural consequence of how they're growing up um is is partly that as well but anyway punishments that well yeah they create shame and they teach your child basically okay i'm going to try and avoid getting caught next time so that i don't get punished okay what you want, what we, what they it needs to be replaced with, is natural and logical consequences. Okay, um, and there's no be all and end all answer. Okay, um, and it's, but if you replace punishments with natural and logical consequences, then that's more likely to change the behavior in the long run. So for example, um, I saw I saw quite a good video the other day of a um, of a dad catching their child stealing, and the dad didn't get uh, angry at the child. Um, but did firmly instruct the child to return the item to the shop um, lady. Now the child got upset and said, I'm really scared. Um, and the dad was along the lines of, you shouldn't be stealing. Um, you, uh, you know, the, and I guess that child will hopefully never steal again, because they'll have sort of seen how scary it is to own up to the fact that they did steal um and you know that child was forgiven so that child has now shown that there are kind people in the world um and that they owe it to those kind people to be kind back um but yeah there's a there's a disconnect if you're just making up a punishment for something then it's a disconnect so let's take an example of um there's a toy that is being used to hit others with well, rather than taking all their toys away, that's punishment and that's just too harsh. What you need to do instead is you need to just say to them, okay, so this is causing you to hurt other children. So we're going, we're going to have to take a break from playing with this. And then you might, you would take that away to stop them from hitting others but it is 
But you wouldn't then take other toys away. You wouldn't get angry at them and say, okay, I'm going to take these away from you because you hit that person. Do you see the difference? One is helping the child resolve a situation. Another is um, just making the child anxious, upset, angry. And do you know what? They might get angry at you for taking the toy that they're hitting others with. They might get angry. But it's still, if you respond with calm, then it's just going to be way better overall. And I think that's one of the key things that certainly that I've learned with regards to um, the work that I do and how I manage um, the children in my care is that I'm, yeah, I'm having, I am responding if they're upset angry having a tantrum however you want to call it then i'm not responding with raising my voice or losing my temper back i'm responding with calm the exception to that rule is if a child is being violent towards another child then you might want to, or, or being unsafe, like running into the road, that's an emergency and you need to protect the children. So you might raise your voice then, or you might use reasonable force. But if it can be dealt with, but then after you've rescued the child from that danger, that's when you step back and you respond in a calm and collected manner and that is that that's the difference um and no one is ever going to get it right a hundred percent of the time and i'm my experience is in primary and early years so it'll obviously be very very different for um those teaching secondary um and those in other different situations but i'm just seeing i'm speaking from my own experience and how i've seen the children that I've taught and the children in my care, how I've seen them grow as people when in response to the some of the things that I've been saying. And so it is when I when I say I'm against punishment, what I mean is I'm not saying that children or should get away with, um, you know, everything. Of course, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is don't act out of anger and don't act out of spite and don't act to get back at that child. 
act in a way that is professional and act in a way that is um that that shows that you are in charge if you have to shows them if they're trying to wind you up that they're not going to get at you and that you are invincible to their attempts to undermine you but also um showing them that you're not going to be messed with and you're doing it because you care that's uh th those are the key things from what i can gather um and as i say i have experience in primary so you know i i think i think my behavior management's quite good i know it's not perfect certainly isn't perfect um but i'm very much for natural and logical consequences and against punishments and the difference is one is showing showing the child what naturally happens when they do do this one thing and helping them to fix it another just teaches them not to get caught by that person and to spite and spite there's a big difference so that's my view on punishments now the next thing that i wanted to talk about and this is a statement that we often say um and it's a actually quite a misogynistic stereotype run like a girl you throw like a girl you hit like a girl okay now i saw a bit uh that i i can't remember where i found this but i remember seeing a quite a big video um that went that went viral um a few years ago that actually addressed this in the best way possible they had a load of um random strangers and they told those strangers okay what i want you to do is i want you to run like a girl now i want you to jump like a girl now i want you to um throw this ball like a girl and you can probably imagine what they did so the one that um said run like a girl you know did this dainty dainty thing that was you know very insulting the person the boy who was told to throw like a girl did the most pathetic throw he could imagine um and then afterwards they the person behind the camera talked to them about okay so do you have a sister yes I do um how do you think your sister would feel if you were going if you were talking about her like that you know or what about what about the female athletes out there who's uh who's running and throwing you know is better than most people in the world you see you see where the um 
you see where the uh, difference is. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's changing that. And I guess I haven't heard it so much. My environment's overall quite positive right now doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It's like I don't directly experience racism and my students are not racist in my settings. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. That doesn't mean it's not an issue in other places. But, um, but yeah, the person behind the camera in this video, after calling the boys and men out on how they threw like a girl, ran like a girl, um, and it was insulting and, and, you know, stereotypical of how people have been using that phrase in the past, making them feel bad that, oh, hang on a minute, actually, they might, um, my, my sister might feel really bad about that. And I do care about my sister. Um, so that's actually not a very nice thing to say or do. Um, and then they overturned it. Okay, so run like a girl. And then the boy that was instructed to run like a girl went for it and ran as fast as he could. Same with the uh, boy that was told to throw like a girl, went for it and threw the tennis ball as far as he could. Um, and the, the same with, you know, all the other things that they were told to do, quote, like a girl. That then meant to them, you know, just doing it properly like any person um, and giving it their all, you know. What a, I guess I guess a good example is you know England female girls football team, world, uh, you know champions, um, doing doing better than the men's team, um, and actually they play with more dignity than the um, and well the fans you know they're more wholesome. It's just more wholesome overall, and that isn't to say that a lot of the men's team aren't like that you know i'm um i have a lot of respect for marcus rashford and all the things he's been doing um but yeah it, it's so that that stereotype hopefully that's changing for the better um and i just wanted to use say that video as an example and i guess the main thing that I've been doing is, you know, telling a child to say thank you or say please. I don't know how other people feel about this, but I don't do that anymore with my younger children. I What I do is I model it. So... Let's say I've seen a good example of sharing. I won't specifically say, oh, that's good sharing. But what I will do is I will say, oh, so let's let's use the child one, child two, Duplo example again. Child one. Um, OK, here you go. Here's some green bricks for you. Um, 
let's let's say child two doesn't say thank you instead uh, instead of saying to child two what do you say i actually thank that child on behalf of child two so child one gives some green duplo bricks to child two i then say oh thank you child one that's very kind of you so i'm modeling the way to act and it's like the whole monkey see monkey do thing you have you have children will often mimic the behaviors that they see around them and so it's up to us to be good role models not telling them how to act but showing them it's like what the art of making a good film well for the most part show don't tell you know in if you're reading a book you would tell a story but if you're watching it in a, in a film or a tv show show don't tell and it's similar with modeling behave desirable behaviors that you want to see and you want to develop the children in your care or your students into good people um this is that's the way to do it you're modeling how to act in certain situations you're modeling how to act in stressful situations you're modeling how to act during you know potential conflicts you're modeling how to act in just everyday situations like um when it comes to sharing uh, <laughs> or you know uh figuring out who's gonna have a turn when etc that's it, it it's it's a case of if you model what you want then they're more likely to do it in the future so um i don't have personally any problems with asking a child on behalf of another child um you know please could child two have this when you're done i don't have any problems doing that to child one because i am modeling the way to that i want to see child two and child one interacting with each other so when child one gives the toy to child two i say oh thank you child one that's very kind of you and therefore i'm modeling what i eventually want child two to be able to have the confidence to say and be you know a good a good person to say and have good manners rather than giving them anxiety about trying to remember to have good manners and that's um what i'm so yeah that's something that i think lots of people should be changing it's not you're you're showing that you're yeah well you're modeling 
you are modeling what you want to see in your students instead and and you're not just um you're not just expecting it from them without showing them how to do it because you might be the only person who has shown them this good example of how to be in in a certain situation um you might you might be it might be the first time they've experienced this you know you don't you don't know everything that that child or that person is going through or um experiencing so it's 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 something that i like to i i like to do i like to show how to be in certain situations and i think i hope i'm getting better at it as i say with these things these are just things that i've read seen online um also things that i have noticed through experience none of these are criticisms of anybody they are things that i think should be changing though okay I am going to play the two-minute tech adverts and news now, and then we'll be back. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I continue with my series on home connection and getting the best performance. The question today is wired or wireless connection. Which is best? In the past, the wired connection was considered the fastest and this would be the end of the episode. However, modern wireless speeds are comparable with a wired connection. So, what factors affect performance? The first factor to consider is can you actually connect via a wire? Some devices don't have an Ethernet or compatible port to have a wired connection. Being hardwired allows a more stable connection. You're not relying on high frequency waves to transmit your data, and waves are susceptible to interference in the shape of distance from the transmitter receiver, in human language, your hub. Then there are walls, furniture, other devices, basically anything that gets in the way. So, the first tip is if possible use a wired connection at home though this is easier said than done you need to be reasonably close to your home hub as this is where the ports are and sometimes that's not a great place to work if you are after a wired connection away from your hub then take a look at using power line adapters these are two plugs that use your existing home electric wiring to create a virtual wired connection to anywhere in the building that has a plug socket they are relatively cheap and some can also be used as wireless extenders allowing you to create a better wi-fi coverage in dark spots in your home at around 30 to 50 pounds, it's a relatively cheap and aesthetically pleasing option compared to running cables around your home. Meshing is the next solution to improve coverage. More recently, homes have been adopting the mesh system. 
Meshing is linking wireless access points together to extend their range. All have the same sign-in so you can seamlessly move from one to the other with uninterrupted connection. Starting at around £80, it's a more expensive option but if you only have devices that use Wi-Fi, this might be the answer for you. With most home networks, after bandwidth availability, interference is your next enemy. Always try to place your home hub in the most central place if the telephone sockets allow, otherwise consider power line adapters or meshing. Most modern internet providers give you options to buy these devices from them. This will guarantee it works for your network, but be aware this will come at a higher price tag. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is Teachers Talk Radio News GCSE Special. With many young people celebrating their GCSE results on Thursday the 25th of August, a range of both local and national media outlets have carried stories of success. Schools Week have provided a clear analysis of some of the trends as pupils received grades via examinations for the first time since 2019. The main headline figures have dropped from those achieved in 2021 when pupils grades were awarded based on teacher assessment, but many were up when compared to 2019 figures. The main headlines for pupils in England include the Grade 5 or above pass rate at 60.3%, which is up from 53.5% in 2019, with Grade 4s improving from 69.9% to 75.3%. The number of pupils achieving top Grade 9s sits at 6.8%, but is much higher than the 4.7% in 2019. In terms of subjects, English has seen a bigger drop in top grades than maths, on 2021 levels, although both subjects still outperform 2019 grades. There were also nearly three times more straight nines since the last exams, with 2,193 students achieving all grade nines compared to just 837 in 2019. Over two-thirds of these students were girls, sparking some additional reporting on the gender gap in terms of attainment. 13 students in England achieved grade nines in 12 or more GCSEs. One of the biggest stories, however, has been the attainment gap between North and South. In the northeast of England, the proportion of pupils achieving top grades of sevens or above was 22.4%, compared to 32.6% in London. Whilst in the West Midlands, a fifth of students achieved top grades compared with one third of London students, according to the website Birmingham World. This data has prompted a number of stories focusing on school funding and what some view as the disproportionate effects of the pandemic on some areas. The Director of Schools North East, Chris Saraga, 
called for an urgent recovery plan which recognised the different needs of different areas, whilst also highlighting the work done by the region's students and teachers in what he called unprecedented circumstances. Meanwhile, Ofqual Chief Joe Saxton, speaking to the TES magazine, has commented on the attempt to return to normal assessment. In the article, she notes that the advanced information issued by exam boards to help students sitting this summer's exams may not have been helpful in practice. Speaking to school leaders at the Confederation of School Trusts conference, she stated that it gave pupils just one other thing to think about. Dr Saxton also explored how she expects aspects such as grading scales to evolve in the future. The core points of the speech included addressing disadvantage, described as a key part of her job, with examples of maths and MFL questions being accessible to all. She also described the summer 2022 exam grading as one of the most generous in history, as Ofqual did not want to return to 2019 grading levels in one fell swoop. Dr Saxton acknowledged that exams would be changing over the coming years, highlighting that she believes it is a case of when, not if, we move towards online assessment, but added that reform must not throw out babies with bathwater and that handwriting is here to stay. And finally, exam board AQA continues to face industrial action from employees who were part of the union unison. The strikes are currently in their fourth period of industrial action as a dispute over pay and threats of fire and rehire continue, according to union representatives. The action coincides with many of those who marked exams for the board this year taking to social media to complain of delayed and missing payments and some claims of pupils not receiving marks at all. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio GCSE News Special with Joe Fox. Wow, <laughs> I'm glad I'm out of the exam system, full stop. I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't want to have to deal with any of that anymore. That's why I'm, uh, I work where I work in progressive systems and in, in primary in early years because, um, well, I'm better with that age range and I don't have to deal with any of the exam stuff. So before I finish my show today, I wanted to address um, one more thing, um, and that is toxic positivity. Now, we're getting, the world is getting better at and, and mental health is being talked about a lot more thanks to the internet. We've still got a long way to go, but it is getting better. It still can happen where we can naturally want to impose toxic positivity upon children. That's not acknowledging their feelings, though. So, you know, when somebody says good vibes only, you know, they're, they're shutting out negativity as if it doesn't exist. And that's actually not very healthy. Um, they don't, they don't want people to sort of, um, have a victim mindset. Sure. But it goes deeper than that often with people's mental health. Um, and actually what can happen is people can resort to toxic positivity if they don't know what to say, how to, or how to make the situation better, or it's uncomfortable. So 
you might say, oh, it's no big deal or just stay positive. Oh, ew. Um, but actually it's not acknowledging that. Okay. Emotions shouldn't be suppressed or avoided. No emotions should be suppressed or avoided. We should help them through negative emotions. But or, or, or I shouldn't say negative emotions, I should say challenging emotions, just help people through them, not suppress them. And there's a big difference. Um, so, you know, an example, um, moving house is a big deal. It's actually a very stressful experience for the adults involved as well. Let's say a child's leaving, moving schools, moving away. They're worried about missing their friends. That's, that's big. That's a big deal for them. Um, you'll find new friends in your new school is actually quite dismissive. Um, and letting them sort of grieve for the fact that they are moving away from their friends is much better and acknowledging that they feel that way. Um, because if you're making a big decision to move and upend your family, that is that is big for everybody involved. And you, you can s speak about the positives, but also acknowledge that it might be tough on people. Um, another example might be, you know, well, lot, lots of things. They might not seem like big deals to us as adults, but for children, they often are because they don't have much experience of the world. But if we, if we dismiss their emotions and feelings as not important, then they're less likely to be open about big things that do matter um, as teenagers and as adults later in life. And people do need to be able to speak openly and stand up for themselves and be confident in who they are. Um, so, oh, just think positively and you'll be fine. There's nothing to be sad about. It's fine. It might not feel that way at the time. Um, so in feeling validated and heard, that's all they really need. And it's like mental health. When you talk about mental health, you say it's okay to not be okay. And our children should feel that as well. They should feel like they are allowed to, well, they shouldn't feel like they're not allowed to feel sad or angry or, um, you know, emotions that we adults might consider challenging. It's okay to not be okay also applies to children as well. And we have to, we have to acknowledge that. Um, now, I'm I'm very lucky in the sense that my setting, I can 
we we've got enough staff and a an atmosphere that we've built up over many years that we can do these things and do them quite well and we can approach challenges really well what we can't that might be trickier for mainstream schools um where they don't have as many adults and so being emotionally ready and available for 30 children with differing needs and um some who have special needs some who have english as an additional language it's that's tough um but it's something that i think lots of these things that i've mentioned today they need to change well in at all levels really they they need to change right from the top down and all adults need to be aware of them and that is where i'm going to end my show today thank you very much for listening and i'll see you next time You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.